Hello everyone and welcome to Georgia's Poetry Workshop. I hope you've had a lovely week and that you've managed to fit in some writing. Spring has sprung, very excitingly, so we're going to focus on a bit of nature this week, thinking about spring and the the kind of symbol of that, the idea of things becoming new and opening to us and not just in terms of rebirth in the sense of things growing, lambs being born, daffodils springing up, but also in terms of um, rebirthing ourselves, our sense of identity and opening ourselves up to new experiences, which is, I think, what spring is all about. So with this in mind, ideas of spring, I'm going to talk to you about, firstly, World Poetry Day, which was on the 21st, Tuesday the 21st, and an article that my aunt actually sent me, which was in The Guardian. And it's called Simon Armitage Savers Spring, Ecstasy and Melancholy on World Poetry Day. And it's an article by Toby Thomas. So it's about how Armitage, our poet laureate, is creating a collection based on Blossom. And I'm going to read the opening paragraph of the article and then a little bit of the poem. So here we go. The poet laureate, Simon Armitage, has written a new poem which pays homage to spring in celebration of World Poetry Day. Plum Tree Among the Skyscrapers is the first in a collection of poems inspired by Blossom and commissioned by the the National Trust. Its publication marks the beginning of the Trust's annual Blossom campaign, in which the charity will vow to bring Blossom back to landscapes across the UK by planting 20 million trees by 2030 to help tackle both the climate and nature crises. Plum Tree Among the Skyscrapers by Simon Armitage She's travelled for years through tangled forests and formal gardens edged along hedgerows set up her stall on tenanted farms then moved on restless empty-handed sometimes sometimes with fruit in her arms She's hopscotched through graveyards and parks settled down in allotments, clung to a church roof by a toe. She's pitched camp on verges and hard shoulders, stumbled on threadbare moors above the tree line, and slummed it on wasteland, but dug in on steep hillsides and rough ground. She was queen of the May on a roundabout once, in a roundabout way. She's piggybacked across trading estates, hitched in a missile thrush beak, drifted with thistledown. She's thumbed a lift into town. Now here she is, in a cracked slab, in a city square, in a square mile, mirrored by glass and steel, dwarfed by money and fancy talk. Hand-me-down brush, pre-loved broom, to the paid-by-the-minute, suits and umbrellas and lunchtime shoppers. She's a poor Cinderella rootling about in a potting compost of burger boxes and popped poppers. In that world, orchard and orphan are one and the same. 
but she's here to stay, plumb in the middle, and today she's fizzing with light and colour, outshining the smug sculptures and blubbering fountains. I'm going to pause there. Please do find this uh, and and read the end. It's it's online. You can you can access it. Um, so I was really excited reading this piece because, well, <laughs> the reason I got excited about it first of all was because of this image of the blossom here. She's hopscotched through graveyards and parks, settled down in allotments clung to a church roof by a toe and it's that it's that clung to a church roof by a toe that really gets me i think there's something really ethereal really beautiful almost fairy like the idea of a blossom holding on to a building with a with a toe it's almost like a dance about you know maybe a ballet dancer who's about to pirouette um, and and lift off and move. So, and it was a surprise to read that. I I felt really enthralled to to kind of get into the poem at that point. So yeah, something to think about in terms of your own writing, using an unexpected body part to um, convey an idea of of an object. Specifically, in this case, a plant, a a petal. I think this is really wonderful too, because ideas of blossom make me think of Japanese culture, and I've actually I've just started learning Japanese. And last night, my teacher, my sensei, told me about sakura which is the cherry tree, and how last weekend she celebrated this time of year with a kind of sakura party. She had she went to visit a group of friends and they all shared food beneath the, beneath the trees in all the blossom. And I thought that's just absolutely wonderful. And it reminded me of Eid in Islam and that idea of sort of sharing food with family. Um, and also reminded me of the time when I was walking through London and next to a park where Muslim people were celebrating Eid and they offered me food even though I'm not Muslim. They invited me to join them and and eat some of their food and it was just this kind of really wonderful moment of community and sharing and I felt really lucky to have been, been a part of that, you know, to be a, have been a stranger invited to share food so it this idea of of celebrating in nature is a beautiful thing and a really heartwarming warming thing so i i spoke to my teacher a little bit more about this and she also said that the cherry blossom the cherry trees are there are legends about them and they're quite spiritual uh, and how they also represent ideas of life and death. And she talked about the idea of someone dying and the tree growing where they have died. And again, there was just this, there's something amazing about 
how even in death there's this celebration of life too, which I think is a really great and I'm running out of adjectives to describe how joy is joyful, joyful um, that is, and hopeful. After my lesson, I decided to look into this a little bit more and I specifically went looking for poems and I knew of Basho, probably the most famous Japanese poet, particularly in terms of the form of haiku, and looked up some of his work about blossom and spring. So if you don't know, haiku is a Japanese form, traditional Japanese form of poetry that is structured by syllable count. So a syllable is kind of like the musical, a sort of a musical count in a word or a phrase. So what I mean by that is in the word dinosaur, for instance, there are three syllables, there are three beats. So dinosaur, or in the word water, there are two, water. And it's nice to kind of clap along when you're counting to help you hear the beats, which is why that's how I learn about syllable counting. Made it very musical, which which is really nice. And that's what poetry has within it, music. I'm going to read one of Basho's haikus. And then I've been trying to begin translating it myself. So I'm going to, to read the Japanese. Hopefully it doesn't sound too stiff. I'm very much at the beginning of my learning. So I hope I don't mispronounce anything or spoil the musicality in this. And then I'll give a kind of overview of what the poem is about as I haven't finished the translation yet, because there are some elements that are quite difficult to to define, um, particularly those that are, the words mean a, what they mean poetic movement in time. It's one of the words, which I think is quite, quite incredible. So it's, you know, I've been thinking, how, how do I translate that into English? Here's the Japanese. Haru no yo wa sakura ni akete shimai keri. So that should be five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. So five in the first line, seven in the second line, five in the third line. So we can count them together. Haru no yo wa five. Sakura ni akete seven shimai keri five, which roughly translates to spring night, blossom dawns or opens or begins. Then there's in the in the final line there's a kind of realization of something ending. So what I believe this poem is about is the transistory nature of the blossom, that the blossom will grow and then it will die, um, and to enjoy the beauty of that growth. This morning, I went to a bookshop with a great Japanese writing section and found a book of poetry with such a gorgeous cover 
It's black with the moon in the top right-hand corner and moths and butterflies all littered around in, in different colours. And it's called The Ink Dark Moon, which is an anthology with poems by two Japanese poets, one Onono Komachi and Isumi Shikibu. And it's Izumi Shikibu's poem that I'd like to read to you now. I'm, I think it's, this one's a gorgeous piece. And Shikibu is Japan's, probably Japan's major, or is described in this, in this anthology as Japan's major woman poet. I've, I've never heard her name before. So I was really, I think I've heard a lot about haiku and particularly male writers of haiku so finding this um these women who wrote tanka which is a poem with 31 syllables has been really wonderful she was born in the 900s which is just you know i i couldn't believe that i hadn't heard of heard of her and her contributions to literature Particularly, you know, you've got Basho who's writing in the 1600s, so much later. It, it's just so inspiring to to note this this writer, uh, this poet, and how she conveys the history of the cherry blossom and ideas of spring within Japanese culture. Here's the Japanese. Uh, do excuse my <laughs> my reading. Uh, if it if it doesn't have that melodious doesn't give the kind of melodious tone that it should ume gakani odoro kare tsutsu haru no yono yami koso hito wa aku garashi kere Wakened by the scent of flowering plum, the darkness of the spring night fills me with longing. So moving. I will also say that this book, The Ink Dark Moon, has been translated by Jane Hirschfield with Mariko Aratani. I really, I recommend this book. I mean, I bought it this morning. <laughs> And what felt really amazing is that I thought, oh, I'll find a poem about about Blossom in here. And I opened it and it went straight to the page about Blossom. So mad coincidence or fate, I don't know. But I feel very lucky to be holding this this in my hands right now. I think it's time for our usual pause for some free writing now if you aren't a usual listener to the podcast welcome again and what we normally do at this point is have a pause to write down whatever's in our minds now you have an option you can either write without a prompt and just spend seven to ten minutes writing whatever you like down or you can use a prompt that i will give you a word to start with that will allow you to kind of kick off 
Now, you don't need to edit when you free write. It's really just about keep going, keep writing. You can write all over the page in any style you want. It's about emptying all the words out that you need to before working on something more specific, which is our main prompt. And I give you that after our break. So I've actually got, so <laughs> so usually I leave a break of silence, but today I'm going to, I've got this box of instruments for toddlers, but I actually bought them for when I was teaching and I wanted to do some spooky stuff with the witches in Macbeth for my class. And I bought this box of toddlers um, instruments and I've got one now. So I'm going to ring some cute bells and in that time, you're welcome to pause, spend seven to 10 minutes writing, and then come back to, to hear more about the poem that you're going to be writing today. So your prompt is moth, moth, which I've taken from the cover. Again, if you'd like to use the prompt of moth, you can, you don't have to, you can just free write and see where your words take you. Okay. Hello and welcome back. If you had that little pause there for some free writing, if you didn't, you can definitely do it later on. I usually take this time to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, if it's helping you and supporting you with your writing and you can afford it, I'd really appreciate it if you could donate to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash George's Poetry Workshop. It allows me to keep creating these podcasts, um, get paid for my time and my art too, and it also supports people who can't afford other workshops to to listen to this one for free. So thank you in advance for your support. The main prompt today is focused around firstly haiku. It would be fabulous if you could give haiku a go. Writing a poem, three lines, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. There should be typically an element of nature within it and ideas of kind of movement and transitory things. So things that come and go and flow, which is quite hard to do, actually. You know, you think, oh, it's going to be easy. It's only three lines. But to think about the elements of haiku is, um, makes it a little bit more difficult. So please give that a go. I'd also like you to try writing a haiku that is, you could write two separate ones, you could write three, four, five, however many you want. It's nice. It would be cool to do a sequence, actually. I would like you to write a haiku that links to a tree that means something to you. So I was thinking about it could be, you know, it could be the cherry blossom that we've discussed and you can take that further and use it and work with it and consider that. It could be, I was trying to think of the the equivalent in, Eng in England of what the cherry blossom could be. And in, in my mind, what is really symbolic 
particularly throughout literature, particularly in Shakespeare, is the willow tree and the symbol of female sorrow. The idea of the willow tree symbolising a woman crying with her hair falling over her face and in Othello, Desdemona sings Willow, 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 the Willow song before she dies. And in Hamlet, Ophelia dies beneath a willow tree. And you might have seen that Malay painting of Ophelia floating in the river underneath the plants and weeds and flowers. I'll actually read a little section of Hamlet when Queen Gertrude describes Ophelia's death and how I think I do think that this links to the cherry blossom in that kind of spiritual way in that kind of life and death way so Queen Gertrude says there is a willow grows aslant a brook that shows his hoar leaves in the glassy stream there with fantastic garlands did she come of crow flowers, nettles, daisies, and long purples that liberal shepherds give a grosser name. But our cold maids do dead men's fingers call them. There, on the pendant boughs, her coronet weeds clambering to hang, an envious sliver broke, when down her weedy trophies and herself fell in the weeping brook. Her clothes spread wide, and, mermaid-like, a while they bore her up, which time she chanted snatches of old tunes, as one incapable of her own distress, or like a creature native and endued unto that element. But long it could not be, till that her garments, heavy with their drink, pulled the poor wretch from her melodious lay to muddy death. I feel quite emotional reading that. Ah, that's the power of Shakespeare, isn't it? So another one more one more thing actually that I did want to highlight before you go off and, and write your tree haiku is the concept of Hanami, which is flower viewing, watching flowers, which is a custom in Japan, enjoying how how flowers grow and die and and recognizing that. So perhaps that's something that you can bring into it. It might be that actually if it's sunny right now, go outside and have a proper look at a plant or a flower and write about that experience and note that transistor experience, but the joy in looking at that the looking at that beautiful thing. And knowing that you can just appreciate it for for the for how it is right now in the present. Okay. Please do share your poems with me. I'd love to read them. You can find me on Twitter at GC the Writer or on Patreon. Huge thanks to Portamento for creating the music for this podcast. And I'm really excited to see you next time at the workshop. Thank you very much for joining me.